<laughs> now is the time for the leader to qualify. My name is Mary Pat, and I'm a compulsive overeater. Hello, everybody. It's so nice to be here. This used to be a regular meeting for me, and it's been a couple of years since I've been here, and it's just a thrill to be back here and see so many familiar and wonderful faces. Um, just to qualify, when I came into these rooms in 2000, I weighed 240 pounds, and I've lost about, um, uh, I'd say, 55 pounds and have kept them off for um, uh, 14 years now. Um, I came into these rooms because I had, I had a compulsive overeating problem before I came into these rooms, but I have a dear friend who um, uh, was my Eskimo who kept saying to me when I would complain about my weight or we'd go out to dinner and I would overeat and I'd say, I can't believe I'm eating this much food. And she would say, well, you know, I belong to a program and, you know, sometime you might be interested in coming to a meeting. And she couldn't have been more gentle or easy about it, but over time I thought, this is something I need to do and finally came to a meeting. But my big motivation was that my dear sister, who uh, was 14 months older than me, who was a hospice nurse, had uh, uh, contracted cancer and she went through 18 months of tremendous difficulty. She had large cell B lymphoma and they were trying to get her to stem cell retrieval so she had a lot of processes that she went through and she was overweight and with the diagnosis of cancer and all the treatments that they were doing she really blew up to about um, I'd say 70 pounds more than she uh, could than her bone frame could really handle. And being a nurse I thought it was absolutely Absolutely fascinating when I would go to take care of her that all these nurses would arrive at her house with really inappropriate foods, you know, uh, all sorts of stuff that was comfort food that was not healthy for her at the time. And I thought, this is what we do as compulsive overeaters. We, we comfort with food because we were comforted with food, we comfort with food. And I talked to her and said, if she... We had a long talk about it, and I said, you know, Connie, if there's any possibility that we, you make this through this, let's start OA together, and we'll call one another, because we're in different cities. She was in Minnesota, and I was in Los Angeles. And um, unfortunately, she, uh, she passed away from it in 2001, and that's when I, uh, 2000, I walked into the rooms, but 2001, I really committed. And... Um, I've done all the things, for those of you who are newcomers to this program, I've done all the things that people do that abuse food. I've eaten half-frozen food. I've gone into the garbage after food. Um, I've made a million promises to myself. I've started, I think I probably have done at least 30 diets, uh, at least different ones that I tried. And, and I have to say, crazy as they were, they all worked briefly. I'd lose a little bit of weight and then I'd put on extra, you know, after that. So um, I realized that I needed to do something that would be a program for life and that I needed support for life. So um, I started with uh, Serenity Sunday. I came into a meeting. Uh, there was a really darling young man speaking that day who was... Uh, sweet and kind and committed and sincere and I thought enormously humble and I thought humility is something that I've always admired in people. I think it's a, a wonderful, graceful quality and I thought I would ask him to be my sponsor. So he became my sponsor and uh, I started with uh, an abstinence of no sugar. And um, 
he was just terrific and sweet and kind and um, understanding. And until we got to my fourth step and realized that I was about 30 years older than he was and that all the things I was going to discuss are probably experiences he hadn't even gotten to yet in life. <laughs> and, and I thought that's all he needs to do is sit in a room with a middle-aged woman, you know, talking about her menopause, you know. And, and I, thought, I thought maybe we'd spare him that. So I said, I'm going to look for another sponsor, one that's more appropriately my age and... and um, and see how that goes. So I found another sponsor, and that worked for about um, two years, and then she left program. And then I got myself another sponsor, and um, that, that um, once again, this person left program. And I now have a sponsor that I've had for two years with a small break. I recently, um, well, I'll get to that. Um, so anyway, I'm all for sponsorship. I think don't be unsponsored. I really think it's helpful. So uh, they keep you in line and, and, you know, you have somebody that you're checking in with on a regular basis, and I think that's terrific. Um, I wanted to start with the 12 steps uh, and kind of just go through them because I thought that that's the best way to really explain my story is how I did the steps. So I was going to go from how it works with... We admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Well, I, I had done that when I came in the rooms because I knew I was out of control. My weight was out of control and my eating was out of control. I was blessed when I first came in the rooms, when I declared my abstinence. I had nine months of abstinence from sugar. And then that Christmas, I decided to make candy for my friends for a Christmas present, which is something I'd done before. My sponsor suggested that that wasn't wise. <laughs> and I thought, well, I can do this. It'll be okay. I'm not eating sugar now. Well, of course, as I was making it, I found myself, you know, doing this. And I thought, oh, no, I'm eating sugar. So I called and said, look, you, you, um, actually warned me against this and I went against your will and said I could do it that I knew better and I have been picking at the candy as I've been preparing it so I think I should start over again so I started my abstinence again and just to prove I guess stubbornness and the inability to see the truth when it's before you know be able to forget amnesia in this program a year later I did the same thing I made candy for friends for Christmas and ate some of it and I thought oh you know, will I never learn? And so I called my sponsor, and that was the end of that. And since then, I've not eaten sugar. So it's been about, it's 14 years now that I've been uh, sugar-free. I have also put a white flour on my abstinence two or three times and taken it off again because I found it very difficult in um, with my career choice uh, and what I do, I find that food is provided for me quite a bit. And it's hard for me to bring food. So occasionally white flour is a part of my food uh, when I'm out of my house. In my home, I don't eat it. And on a regular basis, it's not my choice. If I'm in a restaurant, it's not my choice. Um, so that's sort of what I've done with food. There's also a ton of things that I just don't eat because it's not a good idea. It's, they're trigger foods for me, and I had to go over my trigger foods. And uh, I really need to stick to vegetables and fruit and meat. That's pretty much the, the areas. And it's, there's plenty of food there. It always makes me think, oh, I say only. Well, those are huge fields, and there's plenty of food in there for me. Okay, then the, the second 
step, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. This was a huge step for me because I came into this program with a diagnosis of bipolar disorder. And um, that, that has its own thing. But it, it uh, causes mania sometimes and decisions when I'm uh, a little on the edge of, that, of my world that is a little manic. It's very hard for me to make decisions, and it's really been incredible to be in this program and be able to keep that commitment to no sugar while still having episodes. But what I did find that was a bonus beyond my wildest imaginings was that I had 11 years in this program with no episodes. That's almost impossible, and I still have doctors that are kind of shocked by the whole thing and who... um, Uh, feel that I've been very blessed to have been in this program, that it was one of the things that helped ground me. That coming in and sharing about what's going on in your life and only having three minutes to do it, uh, which is is perfect for a person who has a little mania because they need more than three minutes. So it was great to have that, be able to um, share and see where I was at, to have some place to check in with friends, and I think that's been enormously helpful. I subsequently, in the past four years had two episodes again but they were minor they didn't require hospitalization I was able to get back on my feet again and there's one little story about this program that's involved in one of those episodes that I think you might find as funny as I find I in one of these episodes found myself downtown Los Angeles wandering around for two days on my own with none of my friends knowing where I was and uh, I ended up putting my purse down on the street and walking away from it. So I had no identification on me. And a police officer picked me up at the end of these two days and was kind enough to hear my story and say, I think maybe that you are ill and you remember any of your friend's phone numbers by heart and will call that friend to come and get you. And I did remember a phone number. So while we were waiting, he said, "Um, I'm sure you must be starved. Let me buy you something. And he took me to a little like 7-Eleven store and I bought a bottle of water and a banana and this was much searching and, and wandering around until I finally found this and he said aren't you hungrier than that I mean it's been two days that you've been on the streets and I said well no this is this is what I can have and I thought I don't want to tell him that I don't know if I'm on a snack or a meal <laughs> I thought even program held me in the, in the middle of that manic episode. I was still trying to be a good girl and eat appropriately and not cheat on my program. Yeah, so that was funny to me. So it restored me to sanity. God bless this program. And the other thing that I did in this program that was a bonus just on the side is I managed to quit smoking after being really a, an addict of two packs or three packs a day. I was able to let go of that, which um, is neither here nor there except it's part of my story, and I was thrilled. It was another big bonus in this program. Made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. That was easy for me. Um, I, I was lucky that I was born in faith. I believe in a God. It was easy for me to um, turn my willpower over to my God. And I did a lot of writing around God at that time to get a God that was as generous as I possibly could and forgiving as I possibly could so that I really trusted this God and could turn to the God. So I felt great about that. Made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. I love the fourth step. I was absolutely shocked at writing a fourth step and then doing a fifth step, admitting to God and ourselves to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs, was 
one of the most uplifting things I think I've ever done. I feel like um, that I let go of baggage that I had had packed for years that I was unaware of and felt that I had um, uh, this wonderful human being in front of me who was not judging me and just listening and helping me figure out what I might do for a list for amends later on. And... um, it was really beautiful. I've since done another fourth step. I probably will do another one if, as time goes by just because things do come up. As you clear the wreckage away, you find more stuff you remember. So um, I think that's important to know that these steps are always there to help us and we can always work them. Um, six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of characters. I am, I am, I am. I'm still entirely ready. <laughs> Um, seven, humbly ask him to remove our shortcomings. I think the seven-step prayer is beautiful. And I have to say, after 14 years, I still have not memorized it. I've got to read it. And that is a goal of mine this year, to really memorize that prayer. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. I did that. Um, then I did it twice. And I made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except I'm going to do so when injure them or others. In this program, I... I am manager of a building, and then there's the owner of the building. The owner has rules about the building, and then I, as manager, uh, administer to them or try to uh, assist them to the best of my ability and respecting what her wishes are. And, uh, and, and also negotiating the tenants. And we have a tenant in my building who's on the second floor of the building, and she leaves her doors open all the time. And we have blowers who come and blow all the... Leaves, And she said, they're blowing them into my apartment. And she was so upset about this. And I said, well, I'll talk to them about it. And one day, um, I woke in the morning and heard the blowers going. And I heard them up on that floor. And I ran up and said to this man, you can't do this anymore. And he doesn't speak English very well. And we had difficulty communicating. And I know I was upset trying to communicate to him not to do this, that it was upsetting to her. And it was getting her apartment filthy and not to blow up there anymore. Well, of course, he was under orders from the owner. I could tell he took terrible offense and I felt like I hadn't handled it well and I hadn't handled it gracefully. So one morning when he was there, I went to apologize to him and and I had written an inventory about this and everything and I went to apologize to him and he did not accept my apology. He was still so upset with me and felt that I had been so inappropriate and that his feelings had been so hurt that he just couldn't quite get over it with a simple apology. So I thought, well, this is how this goes sometimes. So I apologized again, and I began to just make amends to him on a daily basis. We are now dear friends. He's just a lovely man. He does special things all the time in the building, and we're communicating much better. So that was just a lovely result of this. I mean, I've had other amends, too, that were really easy, and people said, oh, forget it. It's nothing. It doesn't matter. But... um, I encourage anybody who's having difficulty facing that because I was really scared of starting to make amends. That it can be a beautiful thing and God is in it. God is in how you do it. And so is, and so is your sponsor. That's really a helpful thing. Okay. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. I try to do this every day. I try to, at night, go over my day and see if there's anything that I owe anybody an amends for and then try to make that and um, try to do it as quickly as possible. Sometimes I don't feel I need a sponsor's supervision on it because it's a simple one and sometimes I feel I need to write it out and go over it and figure out with... uh, my sponsor exactly what I should do in that situation if it requires because I also have 
<laughs> I come from Minnesota, and I, I don't know if it's a Minnesota trait, but it sure is amongst my friends. We apologize for everything. We think everything's our fault. So sometimes I'm apologizing for things that I didn't actually do, and I need to, I need to check in and find out if, in fact, this is my, do I have culpability in this? Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. I do that every day at the gym and when I walk. Those are really my prayer times. And I turned off my radio in my car about four or five years ago, and I only turn it on on a rare occasion. And I use that as meditation time because I find driving in Los Angeles... You can figure out where you're at in about 15 minutes because I will get in the car and there are days when you can do anything around me and I think, oh, they probably got stuff on their mind or this person's really in a hurry or maybe they're rushing somewhere because they're concerned about somebody. And then there are the other days where uh, every swear word I've ever known flies into my head and I think, oh, no, it's me today. I'm the problem. So it gives me an opportunity to meditate and pray over that and calm myself down and, and hopefully not be the the problem on the highway. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to alcoholics or Readers Anonymous and to practice these principles in all our affairs. And that is, of course, an ongoing step which I have to work on every day. And I hope, thank you, five, I hope that that is... Um, my efforts are getting better with each year when I get clearer and cleaner that I'm sending a better message. And I think really, I did a one-woman show years ago, and when I was doing the show, I was very concerned about the writing of it. And my, uh, the person who was mentoring me and helping me with writing at one point said, Mary Pat, your show is just blah, 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 blah. What people are really watching is you're a woman with mental illness and you're happy and you're in your 60s and you're alive and you're here and you're good. That's what they're watching. That's the show. And I thought, that's sort of true of the 12th step. We are the show. So we're, we're the message, depending on how we look and how we feel and how we're conducting ourselves, is the invitation to this program. So I'm aware of that. Sometimes I'm a good invitation and sometimes I'm a not very good one. So Now the thing I was going to tell you about is recently, this year, I was diagnosed with um, uterine cancer. And I just recently had a hysterectomy and... Um, I had called my sponsor because I was not in compliance with the very few things she was asking of me. I was having trouble sending my food in every day, and I was having trouble making phone calls at the time that I agreed to. And I said, maybe I'm going to look for another sponsor and see if I can do this a different way. And so I was unsponsored while I was doing this surgery and going through this whole process. But I did have two absolutely fabulous members of this program who had about 17 years in it there with me at the hospital, helping me all along the way. And uh, consequently, I made it through this whole thing. And I'm looking at a little radiation treatment, not too much, but it's only it's just three sessions, which I feel, once again, God's hand was in this. I, it's, it's a miracle that I got this, that they got it early. That, um, But because it was a little aggressive, they feel that they want to do uh, some radiation treatments just to make sure that they got everything. So it has been crazy for my food. I don't know if you've had a surgery 
recently, but they make you... I had to be on a, a special diet for two days of liquids and all sorts of stuff, so it was crazy. And I had these wonderful friends there that I could call and say, you know, if I have to drink one more cup of chicken broth, I think I'll kill myself. <laughs> so <laughs> anyway, we got through that, and I got through the food at the hospital. It was very interesting, even at the hospital, the diabetic diet is bad. It's not good. It has it had sugar in it, and it had... Um, other things in it that I just thought, well, you know, too much salt and things like that. And I thought, oh, we just got to work on this, I guess. So um, anyway, um, I want to say that I feel I'm back with my sponsor again. I asked her if she'd take me back. I'm making another effort. And she is lovely and gracious and said yes, which is wonderful of her. And I find that sponsors are pretty great along the way. And... Um, I am now being uh, sponsored again while I'm going through the rest of this process, and I think it will be cleaner because I think that my diet wasn't hasn't been as clean as it should be, and I haven't had anybody to be accountable to, so I haven't been really tracking it. And white flour has snuck into it again and things like that that I want back out of it. So um, I could not be more grateful to this program. I uh, would like to be meditating more than I am. I feel that I'm blessed in all that I do and that because of this program I can eat the diet that I'm eating now that I get exercise and that I'm a better person and I feel that was all because of these rooms and I think that's about what I have to say and I thank you very much okay after the seventh tradition is read, this is the time for questions only. There is no sharing at this meeting. If you need to share, please do so with any one of us after the meeting. Also, please remember that the opinions of the leader are my own and not those of Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. When asking questions, you need not identify yourself. Please remember, if you ask a question, your voice may be audible in, on the OA podcast. Please stop at 9.35. Okay. Are there any questions? Yes. Hi. Um, thank you. You said that you grew up with faith, and I'm wondering if your concept of a higher power evolved and programmed from how it was when you were from childhood. Okay, the question is um, that I had said I was raised in faith, and, uh, and how did my, uh, did my uh, spiritual beliefs develop over time in the program? Uh, I was I was raised in a Catholic household, if I can say that, and um, actually it was fairly liberal and good in my house. Although I was raised in the Catholic Church with by nuns, and uh, and some of them were great, I have to say, believe it or not, just fantastic. But um, I found that we were taught a very unforgiving God, a very judgmental God. And as a young girl, the church was so male-oriented. I did not feel welcome there. I didn't feel welcome on the altar. I thought, all these naughty little boys in the playground are sacred and they can take, take part in communion, but no girls can touch it. And I thought, oh, that just doesn't seem fair to me. So I had problems with it as a young child. I had issues with... Uh, um, uh, the whole thing of, of not feeling welcome. So when I came into program, that was an opportunity for me to redo my God. And so I went after God and decided, I had heard the term Mother, Father, God, and I thought, that, that seems right to me. 
uh, uh, a mother father God that that's both male and female and uh, totally welcoming and then I thought one day somebody asked me Mary Pat what would you do if you had a bunch of children which I don't uh, and you wanted them all to come home again and I said I'd do anything to get my kids home again and I thought that's going to be my God. I'll do anything to get my children home again. So I'm out there for all of them, watching all of them, and they can all come home to me. So that's my God. Yes? Uh, I was wondering, you were, you were speaking of uh, meditation? Yes. And uh, what, uh, what was your plan for that? <laughs> what a good question. The question is that I was speaking of meditation and what is my plan for that. I am trying to get up to five minutes a day. I, I always feel that it's not quite legitimate that I lay in bed and meditate. And I think you have to sit up in a chair and do all of that. And I, I'm beginning to believe that you don't have to, that you can lie in bed and meditate and that that is considered valid. And um, I have taken some transcendental meditation and I've done some other things. So I have different forms that I try. But what I try to do is just fill my mind until um, the thoughts aren't so racy and to not hold on to any of the thoughts as I'm resting. So I'm trying to do more of that because I think that it's different than just prayer work and being quiet in my car, although that is very meditative for me. But, of course, you still have to have attention on the driving. So, and, yeah, which, which you'll all be pleased to know I'm doing. You're safe on the streets. I'm paying attention. So, but that's my plan. Does that answer your question? Um, I, I'm, I'm a little confused about it myself. So yeah, so you're thinking about it yourself, yes. All right. Any other questions? Yes. Thank you so much. Um, along with working the program as, as beautifully as you do, um, for your bipolar, I think it's okay if I ask, are you medicated as well? Or yes, I am medicated. I'm medicated, yeah. I wasn't for a while because during those 11 years they decided to take me off medication, but I did that under a doctor's supervision with a doctor who was available to me should I have any difficulty. So it's never really been completely unsupervised, but it was unmedicated for about, I'd say, eight of those years or nine of those years. And once I had an episode again, I said, all right, I'm, I'm in. I understand that I may have to do this for the rest of my life, and so I'm just taking it. And I'm, I'm lucky because I found a medication that works for me that doesn't, I'm not having a lot of difficulty with, so I feel very blessed that way. Yes. Yes. Resentments, long or short term, how do you deal with them using program? Well, using program, oh, he, uh, the question is resentments, how do I deal with them uh, using program? I have to say I'm very lucky I don't have a lot of resentments. But I think that is a result of the program. Uh, where An area where I used to have resentments was jealousy with people in my field getting things that I didn't get or that I was competing for and, and they won and I didn't. I now believe that nothing can keep my good from coming to me. So if it's mine, I get it. If it's not mine, then I just have to take a deep breath and let it go because it's not mine. It's not my job. It's not, it's not a thing that's going to be important in my spiritual development. And I'm pretty good with that. If I do get a resentment, I take it to my sponsor and we work out how we should handle it. Um, should I do some writing on it? And, um, you know, so, but I haven't had one for a long time. I have to say, lucky me. Yes, Carol. So I think one of the things you say is you want to, about white flour, you want to clean up your food, or the white flour, 
What action steps are you taking to do that? Well, I think that the question is about white flour. What steps am I taking to clean that up? I think that my parameters for it aren't clean enough. And I think I am uncovering the fact that it is a comfort food to me that still protects me from feelings. And that that's why my feelings have been very big during the surgery and stuff. And I think that's why I went back to it. And I think that I need to discuss it now with my sponsor and that I'm going to have to probably let go of it again. And that I'm going to have to put it on my abstinence so that it's something that I know I cannot have no matter what. And um, I'll probably be weeping for the next two months. <laughs> Any other questions? Yes. Well, what I found was, first of all, uh, interestingly enough, uh, uh, I found about six years after that incident, I was diagnosed with diabetes. So um, sugar was a bad thing for me in many levels. Be- besides being a behavioral thing, it was a, a, diet, a dietary thing, too. But I think that I, uh, it was Christmas. I found myself eating that little bit. And it started me eating more and more. And by the time I was at a friend's house for Christmas, I was sneaking into their kitchen. Sneaking! So ridiculous. And going into the box of candy that they had and eating pieces of it so that nobody could see me. And eating them so fast that you couldn't even enjoy them. And I thought, it's back. It's here. It's always here. They talk about your disease being out there doing push-ups while you're in abstinence. And it's the truth. It's, uh, it, it comes back so fast, it's just utterly shocking that it can happen in, in just a bite of this. And also, we have no power over, over what happens after we've eaten that first bite. The po- only power we have is not taking that first bite. So I had to get back into the place where I had some power, which was absolutely no, I cannot have it. So that's where I went again. And it's easier there. It's easier to say no than it is to eat a bite and try to stop it. Because there's always a few days or there's a period where you don't, I don't know if I didn't necessarily tell my sponsor right away. I waited a couple of days because I thought I could get control of it so I could call him and tell him it's all over. I didn't want to call him and say I'm in the middle of it. So, you know, I want to be better than I am. I think with, and with a sponsor it's very tricky because uh, it's about being exactly where you're at and being honest about that. And that's hard. Yeah, you're welcome. Yes. Thank you. Um, how, how do you handle uh, asking for help? Like, and how, I mean, if you, um, if something's going on for you, like in something like you've been going through, do, do you just do you reach out to a group of people? Or what, how, do you, how do you handle it when you, you need to ask for help if you don't want to? The question is about asking for help and how do you handle that, uh, particularly when you don't want to. Um, I'm... I'm really blessed in my life with some great friends, and I'm, a couple of my great friends are in program, and that's really important to get a couple of friends in program that you trust, that you have an intimate relationship with. And um, sometimes they'll even help you. They'll tell you, I think you're in trouble and you need to, you know, or they'll see something and they'll, you know, suggest that maybe you want to talk about it. I was very lucky because uh, of this whole ordeal going on. I had a dear friend who was at my house when I realized that I might be in trouble. I had a friend who said, you cannot go to the doctor alone. I'm, I'm single, 
and I don't have children, and I don't have family here in Los Angeles except friends. And they jumped right on board and volunteered. And as a matter of fact, a dear friend in program who's been struggling said, it would be good for my abstinence to take you to your first radiation appointment. So he's taking me to my radiation appointment, which I just think is great because it's a benefit for him, and it's a huge benefit for me that he's taking me, and I think it's wonderful. So um, I just I reach out despite the fact that it's hard. But it's easier when you've got a good friend. You know, it's easier for me than making a phone call to an anonymous person. I, you know, because sometimes you can, you can unload there and walk away and you still got the problem and nobody's there to help you. So, you know, <laughs> you want to find somebody close that's willing to. Yes, Carol. Um, thank you so much for your share. My pleasure. Um, it's kind of thinking about you know, what you just said, but I'm wondering if you, and I imagine you do have some anxiety around some of these health conditions. Right. Um, this is a question about anxiety and how do you deal with that around issues that come up in our lives and um, how do you do that in program? Uh, I think I'm, I'm pretty much a trooper. I'm, I'm brave in the face of what's going on. So I go in and I do these things and I see the doctors and I get my pronouncements and I'm always trying to make the doctors feel better about what they're telling me and, um, <laughs> and they know it, you know, because they keep saying, how are you? Are you okay? Oh, I'm fine. No, don't worry about this. I mean, I, I suspected it might be cancer. And, and they're, you know... So it is hard for me to get to my feelings, and I think that is one of the things that I'm wrestling with a little bit, is I think that the, the compulsiveness that's entered some of my eating, I think, is a result of not really dealing with the feelings. But I do feel, once again, that I've got this wonderful God that is in my life. I take it to God, and... Um, try to allow myself to feel the feelings when I have some privacy or when I'm with a friend. Um, it's just hard for me with somebody who's new to completely express my feelings. But I have a team of doctors that are absolutely fantastic. And that makes a big difference too. And twice I was encouraged to leave one doctor because you have the world's longest wait in his office. It's three hours at, a, at an appointment with him. But I realized the reason why it's three hours is I really watched him. And while I was in the waiting room, I watched how he behaved with other people. First of all, he is brilliant in his field. But when, he is, when you're in his presence, he gives you 100% of his attention. And he really knows what's going on with you. So the appointments take a long time because he takes a long time with each patient. So when, you, when, you have, when it's your turn, you have his undivided attention, which is unusual with doctors because they're usually so distracted with other things. But it's one of the things that makes, wait, you know, you wait for him. If you want to go to him, you wait for him, but he's terrific. Yeah, do, yay. Well, I'm glad you've got some good ones, but I'm sorry about the wait. You know, I have to meditate and pray during the wait. And, of course, they've got those darn, they've got the TVs on in the hallway. And, you know, I think, oh, because I bring literature in that I want to read and stuff like that. And I've been bringing in OA literature to help me, which is helpful in the waiting room. Does anybody else have a question? Yes. Um, if you're 
Uh, the question is, has my family been supportive of my OA uh, program and how have they been supportive in other ways? I am blessed with a really lovely family. I'm nuts about all my family and we all get along. And they have all, over the period of years that I've been in program, everybody but my one sister has been diagnosed with diabetes. So everybody needs to get off sugar. So they are all really envious that I'm off it. They have not walked into these rooms yet because they say, I don't know if I want to go in and share with people that I don't know and strangers and this just doesn't. So they may or may not be able to get over that obstacle. But in the family, they all admire what I'm doing and I have to keep explaining to them that it's not me. That of my own volition, I'd be in the same place they are right now. But because I do come in these rooms and I've got so much support and I've got the program and I'm doing the work, it has made a huge difference. They are also supportive of anything that, you know, like right now because I have a health issue going on. There's lots of phone calling and checking in. And, and they have big lives and lots going on. And they all have children and, and big families and grandchildren. And they're still very attentive. And um, one of my sisters and my brother-in-law drove up and spent three days with me during this time that I had the surgery done. And they could not have been more fabulous. And they eat exactly the way I eat when they're at my house and precisely. You know, and when we go out, you know, I finally when we would go out, I said, you know, you're welcome welcome to eat desserts. I'm not eating, but you are welcome to do that. I mean, you don't have to not do that in front of me. And finally, my brother-in-law said, I just want a piece of pie. And I said, have your pie. Please have your pie. So they couldn't have been sweeter. I mean, they couldn't have been nicer about it. So I was lucky. You're welcome. Um, you go to an event and you're feeling a little edgy and there's dessert. And everyone's having it and going on in their lives. What work do you do internally? What do you do? Well, the thing that I've taught myself is that it's truly an honest to God poison for me. So when it comes around, I think poison, 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 my food. So when something comes around that I can have, that's my food. But if it's just dessert, then I'm drinking seltzer water or doing something for the night and telling myself that this is my treat. You know, because I just, I really can't have it. And I'm also limited in the amount of sugar I can have in fruit, so that that's a little tricky too. There's real, you're, you're really, they, if if I was doing this really exactly the way that the doctors and nutritionists would like me to do it, my portions are just tiny, and I'm allowed three a day, and I'm pretty good about that. But then when they told me 18 blueberries, I thought, well, I'm not going to count them every time. <laughs> and I know I eat more than four strawberries, so you know, so. But I'm trying to be better about it. Yes, Evelyn. Um, thank you, Mary Hat, for your openness and your honesty and your vulnerability. Mm-hmm. You talked about um, work with your sponsor and the fact that you not called in and um, food. You didn't send your food in and now you're back. Um, what is it that you're going to do differently? What, why do you think it will be different this time? Well, I'm, I've been pondering that because I want it to be a success this time and I don't quite know what took me out the last time. I think it's because my life is very sporadic. There's no routine to it. So I will find myself getting home at 10 o'clock or 11 o'clock at night and I want, I want desperately to go to bed because I go to bed earlier than that. Um, 
and I just have to stay up and send that email off. I've got to send the email off of what I've eaten. I just, and I need to make that a top priority that it's the same as brushing my teeth and washing my face. I've got to send in my food. And I think that's the only way I can look at it. And I haven't looked at it before like that. I thought, oh, I, maybe I'll do it in the morning. I'll get up early and do it. And haven't gotten it done and had to race out the door to go somewhere. And I just need to make it a top priority. And that has been hard for me. And it's, I think, it's intrinsic to my really having success in this program because my doctor would really like me to get 20 more pounds off and that's going to require some work on my part and I have to do things differently in order to do it because I've been trying to do it for a couple of years doing what I'm doing and it ain't working so yeah thank you anybody else yes not, you know, interestingly enough, uh, I don't have any anger about this. I feel like I'm, I am so lucky to have had the life that I've had that I, even when this whole cancer thing came up, I thought, you know, I thought that might be a thing that would make me angry at God. You know, why me? I didn't feel that way. I thought, gee, I'm so lucky that I got through this the way I did. And everybody's got to go sometime. And I am so blessed that I am 65 years old because my sister left this planet so much younger and with kids that she didn't get to see to the fulfillment of their being raised and to having children. And um, I feel like I've been blessed with all of that. So now that's how I feel saying this right now. Actually confronted with that they had said, you know, Mary Pat, there's nothing we can do for you. And, and, you know, you've got a matter of months to live. I don't know where I'd be at then. But right now I'm so hopeful that this is not a big deal and that I'm going on that I feel pretty good. But every now and then I think self-righteous anger is what grips me in the car. So, and then I have to, what I say, meditate and pray. So is that our time? Thank you, Carol. Okay.